All right, let's see. Has it started? Since I've been going live for about a minute and 11 seconds. Yeah, usually it's about 30 seconds lag, but I understand it's longer. Oh, there we go. All right, we've got a delayed start here, apparently. Okay, now it tells me that I'm live. Am I live, everybody? Looks like I'm live. Looks like I'm on. So therefore, brethren, it is the Sabbath. Shabbat Shalom and greetings to all 12 tribes scattered abroad. Remember, it is the Passover season. You can sign up in the description right below this video for the Passover. We're going to be celebrating Passover in Independence, Oregon, and we'll be doing mikvahs down in the wonderful freezing cold Willamette River. Um, but it's fresh, it's good, and it is a great time to get together. So please check that out in the description below, or you can always go to TorahToTheTribes.com forward slash connect. We are in Yeshayahu, Isaiah, the fifth Hebrew gospel, and today we are in chapter 10. I had a good question posed to me right before we went live. And that was whether Yeshayahu Isaiah knew when I was speaking about last week about the prophecies in chapter 9 that they could possibly relate to an end time New York City or Western region of which I was talking about. And I said, you know, it's kind of what I was talking about, the prophetic perfect and how really the prophet is addressing what was going on historically at the time whether it be about the Assyrian from the north or whether the invaders were coming down through the northern tribal lands down towards Jerusalem. But these are types and antitypes. Yes, today we're going to discuss the Assyrian. What was Isaiah dealing with? Well, he was dealing with the real Assyrian that was coming down into the region just above the um, coming down, excuse me, from the northern tribal areas to Jerusalem, looking down from Mount Scopus and looking across at Jerusalem. This was what we were talking about. But do the prophecies also talk about that there will be an end-time Assyrian, this figure from the north, a very powerful figure that is going to come down and cause global worldwide chaos through the very, very agencies that we see in the scripture. So it's like a multi-level prophecy. Doesn't discount the past, but you also have to be prepared for the future. So without further ado, let's jump into Yeshayahu, Isaiah chapter 10, but stick a finger in 2 Kings chapter 18 and 19. We won't go there today, I doubt, but that is the parallel portion. You definitely want to read 2 Kings chapter 18 and 19, if not after this teaching, because it talks about the very time of what chapter 10 is. So they are going on at the very same time. So what we're talking about in Isaiah chapter 10 is that Yahweh's hand is stretched out at this point in wrath over his people. And this is an oracle against the 10 tribes of Israel because they have been decidedly and deceptively wicked. And this chapter opens up with a woe on the dishonorable judges, a woe on the dishonorable judges, which was always on Isaiah's, Isaiah's mind because this was the chief symptom then, as it is now, of a rotten republic. If you have dishonorable judges, then your nation is in a state of chaos. And that is really when judgment is swirling around the bottom, about to go down the sinkhole. And this is where Israel was at, at the time of this prophecy. And this prophecy was composed just before the outbreak of the Syrio-Ephraimitish War. The Syrians 
coming into 10 Israel, Ephraim's northern, northern territory. And it begins thus in Isaiah chapter 10, verse 1. Woe to those who enact unjust laws, and to the scribes who write toil, to turn aside the needy from judgment, and to steal the right from the poor of my people. That widows may be their prey, and they rob the orphans. Verse 3. And what will you do in the day of judgment and in destruction, of ruin when it comes from afar? So this is where we prepare for the worst in life, and we pray for the best. All of us need to be prepared. What will you do? When the day of destruction comes, how will you be? You always have to be thinking about that. Pray for peace, but prepare for war. Because with that mindset, I call that the warrior mindset. You're always ready. You're ready for the day. You have to equip yourself, Ephesians 6, gird yourself up in the armor of Elohim. Verse 3 And where will you leave your glory? Surely they shall bow down under the prisoners, and they shall fall under the slain. In all this, his hand is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. So there's those in leadership, in judgment, that are decreeing unrighteous decrees. Do you see that today? Because now we're looking not at the Assyrian historically. We are looking for us in this day and age at the end time prophecy of an Assyrian type figure that is going to be working with judges and legislators to bring about the kind of plunder and mud on the streets that was being brought about in Jerusalem. So that's how we have to look at it if we want to apply the word, pull it from history into today's reality. We never forsake history and context, but we use history and context to pull it from history to real time. Why? Because this isn't fiction. This is the only thing in life that isn't fiction. This is the word of Yahuwah. It is alive. It is as sharp as a double-edged sword, and it can pierce through my flesh, your flesh. It can cut through bone and penetrate in about this. Because I read this historically, and then I start to see it come forward into my very life, and I see it all around me, and I think it is awesome way to live. Look at verse 10. Woe to you, Assyria. I'm getting ahead of myself because I want to set us up here. What's happening are these unrighteous decrees that are going out. Better perhaps, they are drawing up mischievous ordinances that are continually writing oppression. If you were to look at the ordinances, the number of ordinances, statutory ordinances that were on the books 100 years ago, and you look up now, you would be astounded. We are being micromanaged by minutiae, minutiae oppression, continually writing up more restrictive and oppressive ordinances. They say that every man breaks 10 federal laws a day. I mean, if you're just going to the bank and you just sign, it happens when you live in a technocrat society. Or, in this day, what was happening is they were living within a society where those in leadership were writing unrighteous decrees. These were magistrates. They were addressed. They were magistrates. They weren't addressed as judges, but as legislatures. Why? Because their offense is that they embody injustice. How? in arbitrary written enactments. Do you see that today? We experienced that with the word mandate, right, throughout 2020. What does that do? It enables them to perpetrate the most grievous wrongs under legal forms 
or what we would call today color of law. You know, it's at law, not in law. At law, it's a very big difference than in law. Attorneys at law, meaning they're near the law, they're in color of law because they're not actually in the law, they're at law. They're not attorneys in law, they're attorneys at law. They are torn for the day on then and today because they were enabled and that enabling allowed them to perpetrate the most grievous wrongs under legal forms today. We've got people cutting off their body parts. They haven't even reached the age of majority. And there are legal forms allowing them to do it. Back in the days of equity, that would be not proper because it is harm and allowing somebody to inflict harm upon another or themselves, that is just not right. We're to be people of peace, people of healing. Let's address the mind that could be possibly be sick. No, not with this kind of injustice. They don't address this, the issue, which is really a spiritual issue. Instead, they enact grievous laws and allowing people to do things that are not fitting. And that's exactly what it says in Romans chapter 1. Verse 10 of Isaiah. Woe to you, Assyria, the rod of my anger. So Yahweh in chapter 10 verse 5 is saying that Assyria is going to be used by Yahuwah against Jerusalem, Judea, as his rod. He's going to give them a thrashing, and he's going to use the Assyrian as his rod. Better his axe. We'll get to that later. But that doesn't mean that he's in agreement with the Assyrian. It's a tool. And Yahuwah is the potter. Here. He goes on to say, Woe to Assyria, the rod of my anger, and the staff in their hand is my fury. I will send him against an unholy nation and against the people of my wrath. I will command him to take plunder and to strip off the spoil and to trample them like the mud in the streets. Yet he does not plan this, nor does his heart think so. For it is in his heart to destroy and cut off not a few nations. For he says, are not my commanders all like kings? Is not Kalno like Herkemesh? Is not Hamath like Arafad? Is not Samaria like Damascus? So what's happening here is that Yahuwah sends the king of Assyria against the godless nation. And that godless nation is the godless nation of his own people housed around about and in Jerusalem. And it speaks about their unrepentant state. And he is also against the nations of the world. Now, the king of Assyria does, like I say, if you read the scriptures, in their entirety, you'll see the theme of the Assyrian. And this points to the end-time Assyrian, like I said, who does descend from the north. I would say that is going to be, we're going to see an end-time leader that is going to come about in the northern hemisphere. And if you look at the hemispheric judgments that are spoken of by the apocalyptic riders, symbolized by the apocalyptic riders in Zechariah, it tells you that the apocalyptic riders, they ride out to the north, that's the northern hemisphere. Northern hemisphere is war and economy. See, we talk about prophecy. We're bringing the Assyrian into our real time because he descends from the north against the nations. Now, those of you that love reading the book of Daniel, Gog and Magog, 
You've got to start looking at those regions too. Russia, Ukraine, all of these regions of the bear, okay? Well, this definitely is connected with our economy. It's definitely connected with the bank that just went under yesterday, okay? You make those connections in your own time. But taking Gog and Magog prophecies in Daniel to light, a lot of Bible scholars, they would look at Zelensky as a possible candidate. Why? Because he's being propped up by these northern hemispheric regimes and it has got everything to do with trade, trafficking, and commerce. Has it not? Everything to do, especially when you deep dive into the money train over there and you see how it's a cyclical loop track, a cyclical loop track, loop track, excuse me, from the launderer's field of the US to the launderer's field of Ukraine, using a Bible term there. There's a, a launderer's field, and it's a cyclical loop track. We are doing some serious laundry. That's what we're doing, just as we had done in Afghanistan, just as we've done in Iraq. Some serious money train going on. So the King of Assyria also fulfills Isaiah's prediction inherent in the name Shahal Hash Baz, meaning hasten the plunder, hurry the spoil, because he reduces the wicked to mud. And when you see mud in this chapter, think of chaos. Mud is a chaos motif. We're from dust. But mud is when we have been reduced to an elemental state. We have been reduced through an, to an elemental state, a non-entity. In the world of commerce today, and this is all commercial, have those that are pushing Mystery Babylon's commerce, using the launderer's field, have they tried to reduce mankind from dust to the chaos motif of mud to an elemental state of a non-entity, a fiction at law, a person? A person is a fiction. I want this tube to stay up, so I won't go into it anymore. We're looking at the Assyrian using the streams of commerce and pressure, which is compelled performance, to reduce man from dust to mud through chaos, making him come into an elemental state, a non-entity. How does that happen? We live in a world where we're bombarded with fear. We live in a world where we're bombarded in the brain through 5G. We are bombarded with toxins in our food. We are bombarded with toxins in the water. There's trains spilling toxins all over the place. That's a conspiracy. We are being bombarded as humans as living creations daily in our full body man. What does that mean? In our souls, in our spirits, and our bodies. Because if they can come out of alignment and not flow, people's vocabulary has plummeted. All they can do is cuss. You see it everywhere. Now everybody's a winner. Okay, there's no winners and losers. Every, you know, you just get a badge for competing. This is an elemental state. They're trying to bring you down into this non-entity state. And this is exactly what was spoken about with the king of Assyria through this mud chaos motif. And I believe this is exactly what the elite are in the final stages of accomplishing in our society today before the Assyrian is revealed. Now, I'm not saying the Assyrian is Zelensky, but there are other Bible pundits out there that are definitely all gung-ho for it. Geographically, does that match the Magog and Magog, um, um, the Gog and Magog area of Daniel? For sure and for certain. 
Are we dealing with a launderer's field? Are we de dealing with those things? Is it in the Northern Hemisphere? Yes, there are a lot of things that are very intriguing when it comes to that. Very intriguing. But there has been a systematic push, you've got to admit it, to take human humanity, excuse me, humanity back to a base level and an elemental state. I mean, you can just, for kicks and giggles, you just can hashtag died suddenly, and, you know, that's a whole rabbit trail in and of itself. But it's in all kinds of areas. And for this even to get as far as it did, it took, look, look at verse 1, those that decree unrighteous decrees, because they allow it to happen through mandating or color of law, okay? and compelling everybody to fall in line. And nobody's questioning whether this is even applicable to them. This is something I've taught my children. You know, when you, you know, read it, when you see notices, read a notice. And often it will say, person or persons, and people go, oh, that think that's me. But you need to look up the definition of a person or a person's. Well, I'm not a person or a person's, so that doesn't apply to me. Now, I'm not going to go and argue that, but I know what I am. And I know that I'm not a corporation. I know I'm not a creature of the state. Okay? Now, if you are, you need to fix that, and we can help you down the road. But that's not. this is not the time. This is the time to think about those that decree unrighteous decrees that are affecting us all, verse 1. Those that draw up mischievous ordinances and are continually writing oppression to compel humankind to agree to become lower-based elemental state beings. Are they doing that? That's what the chaos motif of mud is speaking about. So these are the things that we need to look at. We are the man and woman of the dust. We are not plundered spoil. Plundered spoil means we would be primordial mud. If you're plundered and you've been plundered by Mystery Babylon, you are primordial mud. And that is their goal. If they can plunder and spoil your body, your DNA, your blood, then you are elemental state in their eyes. You are no longer a man or a woman. You are primordial mud. You have agreed to the chaos motif. And this is exactly what that, well, you agree to it. You know, have people say, well, now I've got all of this damage in my body. But you agree to that. You did actually agree to that. You actually had to sign a release. So you did agree to it. Nobody can force you to do anything. If you believe that, then you have been affected by Mystery Babylon. Nobody can, especially with the Assyrian who's looking to make us all low elemental state non-entities. Be a watchman on the wall. Be a watchman on the wall of your daily mental, emotional, spiritual, and physical state. I have to be, because I'm thinking every day, Mystery Babylon is trying to reduce me in an elemental state through my mind, through my emotions, through my spirit, and through my physical state. So I need to be a watchman on the wall on all of those realms, because the kingdoms of idols are using technocracy and technology to overstimulate me, to confuse me, to lower our mental, emotional, spiritual, and physical state. And if we allow that, we become a low elemental state, primordial mud. We've given into the chaos motif that Isaiah was always able to transcend above. We do not want to become humanity 2.0 like the majority have already decided. I'm quite happy 
with the way my creator created me. I believe that my creator put in me an immune system. And I believe that that immune system is better than anything that any man can create. Because I put my trust in the living Elohim. I believe I also have a responsibility to my creator to steward my vessel in honor. So I need to watch what I'm drinking. I need to watch what I'm eating. I most probably should get my backside down the gym and do some cardio, maybe even lift some weights, you know? But I definitely need to watch what I'm reading. I definitely need to watch what I'm listening to. I definitely need to be thinking about having some home self-care. I need to be praying. I need to be in the world because I am not going to be plundered for me. The end from the beginning, the beginning from the end. I'm rambling. Forgive me. Let's jump into Isaiah chapter 10, verse 10. As my hand has reached to the kingdoms of the idols and their graven images more than Jerusalem and Samaria's, shall I not do to Jerusalem and her idols as I have done to, to Samaria and her idols? And it will be when the master has broken off all his work on Mount Zion and on Jerusalem, I will punish the fruit of the proud of heart of the king of Assyria and the glory of his high looks. Now, there's some really cool word links here. And the word, word links show that Yahweh's work here is twofold. Number one, he is about the destruction of the wicked. And number two, he is about the deliverance of the righteous. And this is happening at the same time. You look out there and you can see it. The wicked are being denigrated more and more into a primordial mud chaos motif. They are buying it hook, line and sinker. They're just, I mean, they're just going lower and lower and lower. And everybody's clapping, and you're empowered. Well, hey, in the meantime, the righteous are waking up because it is becoming so. They're like, no, that's, and they're being delivered from that mindset. So there is a bridge that is forming, a crossing over, if you will. As Isaiah progresses with his prophecy, we view the utter destruction upon the whole earth to prepare the way for Yahweh's coming. Look at verse 13. Because he has said, I have done it by my own ability and shrewdness, for I am ingenious. Now, you got to check this out. How many times do you count I here? Okay. Because he said, I have done it by my own ability and shrewdness, for I am ingenious. I have done away with the borders of nations. I have ravaged their reserves. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? I have vastly reduced the inhabitants. That's depopulation. I have impounded the wealth of the peoples like a nest, and I have gathered up the whole world as one gathers abandoned eggs. Not one flapped its wings or opened its mouth to utter a peep. Everybody was distracted by the chaos that was going on. And out of the chaos comes order, a new world order of the Assyrian. And this is exactly what we're talking about here. Believing the Assyrian that he has all power, he boasts of his exploits. The pronoun I, as you counted, it appears seven times here, portraying him as a bloke with a massive, massive ego. Now, seeing as we're on the subject and talking about pronouns, um, I haven't told you, but my personal pronouns that I prefer are you, are, she, it. And that's just my decision. And, you know, that may offend some of you, but that's my personal pronoun. So just remember that. Now, back on track, the king of Assyria, the Assyrian, his claims show 
that in the course of mass global genocide, he does in fact conquer the world. And by doing so, establishes a one world government. And that's exactly what we have now. This whole one world stream of chaos, one world stream that is commercial, that we are seeing parts of it fail because it's all interconnected. What's known as the New World Order, run by the Federal Reserve, the International Monetary Fund, and these big mega global corporations. You will own nothing and you will be happy because the Assyrian, he is the thief in the night who gathers up the world's wealth in the days just preceding Yahuwah's coming. Spoken of about in Matthew 24, spoken of by Paul to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and spoken in um, Peter 3. So you can see this has happened before, and you can see the elements today in preparation for the plundering. Look at verse 15. Shall the axe boast against itself? Shall the axe boast itself against him who chops with it better? Shall the sword magnify itself against him who moves it? As is the rod, as if it could wave those who lift itself up. As if a staff could raise what is not wood. Meaning, Yahweh is using the Assyrian. The Assyrian isn't strong in himself. It's the one who is handling and mastering the Assyrian. He's a tool. He's an axe. He's a rod. He's a staff. But he isn't the one that is enabling it. He's just the instrument. It's Yahweh who empowers the Assyrian. And Yahushua knew this as he stood right before Pilate. Did he not? Did he not speak words in similitude to this, to Pilate? It's not the power that Pilate has, but what my Father has given you. And when you understand that, you'll have greater peace in your life. Nobody can was all caught up. That's how Isaiah could be the prophet. That's how Daniel could be the prophet. It's the key to being a prophet in your mind and to having clarity. When Daniel was thrown, are we good? I would rather be a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a war. I like that. That's a good saying. Exactly. Exactly. So what we see is that Yahweh is the one who empowers the Assyrian to hew down the wicked and to rule over those who, in fact, they've already rejected Yahweh as their ruler. So this is telling you and I, you either have Yahuwah or you have Pharaoh. You either have Yahuwah or you have the Assyrian. You cannot be betwixt two opinions. We have to come out of her, my people. We cannot be lukewarm. You choose. It's always been that way. It's good or evil. And if you eschew good, then guess what you get? You get the evil. You'll be so brainwashed in the end days, it's saying, by your sin that you will call good evil and evil good. Do you see a cultural manifestation of that today? You do? Oh, it's good to cut off your meat and two veg instead of seeing a psychiatrist. What? Oh, no, that's a good thing. Oh, it's very, very bad very bad indeed to homeschool your children. Oh, it's very bad to administer your own house, health, and wealth. Oh, no, you shouldn't do that. You're calling good evil and evil good because you have become the elemental state. You have fallen into the mud and chaos spoken of in this very chapter. So you see it. And in a puddle of worry, they live. In a puddle of worry. 
we are flowing in the rivers and streams of righteousness. That is not our fight. They are not our people. Leave them in the puddle of chaos and primordial soup of which they love. Leave them. Unless they cry for the help of the Savior. And then we go and we heal with compassion and mercy. But we don't take a dog by the ears. We don't cross the street and involve ourselves in a quarrel. We have to realize that this, and if you engage in that, you will be drugged down like a drowning man drugs, drags down its rescuer. Be very careful. Be very careful with what you engage, brethren. The Assyrian is Yahuwah's axe. He is Yahuwah's saw. He is Yahuwah's rod and he is Yahuwah's staff. The Assyrian has no capability of his own. He's kind of like Zelensky. Only has the power that which is lent to him. If Zelensky had not been lent all this money, actually he's been given it, all these weapons, all these aircrafts, his green combat uniform, he'd be still, he would still be dressed as a male stripper doing the gyrations of his music videos that he did 20 years ago. Okay? He was an actor by trade, if that doesn't tell you anything. This is all a big show. But his power is only being lent to him by Western nations. He isn't the creative force of what is going on in the world, just as the Assyrian wasn't the creative force of what was going on in the world. Yahuwah was lending him his power, and Satan is lending Zelensky his power. Okay? So this is what we're seeing today. It's destructive, yes. It does reduce the population to chaos through the mud and chaos motifs. And yes, you will see the treasuries plundered just as they were in Jerusalem. Hezekiah went in and stripped the temple bare. He pulled the gold off of Yahuwah's doors to try and plead with Senhrachiv, or however you pronounce it, who was the Assyrian coming down. This was the kind of chaos that was going on. Look at verse 16. Therefore, the master Yahweh Sevot shall send leanness among his fat ones, and under his glory he shall kindle a burning like the burning of a fire. And the light of Israel, oh, that should be soothing to you. It sure is soothing to me. In this darkness, don't you need light? We need the light of Mashiach wherever we can get him. The light of Israel shall be as a fire, and his holy one as a flame, and it shall burn and devour his thorns and his briars in one day. Now, we know that Mystery Babylon, she's going to fall. In one place, it says one day. In another place, it says one hour. And it shall burn up the glory of his forest and of his fruitful field. There was a time when history pundits several hundred years ago would think, oh, mystery Babylon within an hour? We just saw one of the biggest banks collapse within 48 hours. You can imagine if could, and that's just the beginning. Mystery Babylon in an hour, no problem. Everything's digital commerce now, it's just ledgering. Could be an EMP, be catastrophic, a high atmospheric nuclear bomb, wipe out all of the data systems like that, boom. Chaos in their mud puddle. Chaos in the mud puddle. Well, look at verse 17. We have hope because we have the light of Israel, because he shall be as a fire and his holy one as a flame, and it shall burn and devour his thorns and his briars in one day, and it shall burn up the glory of his forest and of his fruitful field, both soul and body. 
and they shall be as when a sick one faints. And the rest of his trees of his forest, they shall be few, so that a boy might write them. So because the Assyrian was exhorting himself above the creator, he ends up abased. He ends up abased. He has a fire that burn up the wicked, for sure, for certain. So what he does to others, in fact, then is done unto him. Yahweh empowers another fire, his end-time servant, the light, the servant to subdue him. And that we know that is Yahusha. And Isaiah prophesies this. And we have to think about these end-time globalists. They know Yahusha is coming back. They know he is coming back. They know the light of Israel, the servant, the branch that shall not be broken or burnt is coming back. We can see those that are preparing. It says in Revelation that they're going to hide upon the rocks and call. We can see and we can see the close affinity of Yahuwah, of course, with the servant. We know them as father and son. Isaiah prophesied it, but at the time that this was written, people didn't know that intimacy that we do. We see them as father and son, the servant, the light of Israel, and the father, who together, as dual powers, burn up the ark tyrants, briars, and thorns. His evil alliance will be burned up in a single hour, in a single day. Mystery Babylon is fallen, fallen, fallen. That's where we're at. But back to where they were at in verse 20. And it shall be in that day the remnant of Israel and those who have escaped from the house of Jacob shall never again lean on him who struck them, but truly lean on Yahuwah, the Holy One of Israel. See, what was happening at the time is Hezekiah was making some trades and trafficking with the Egyptians. And he was leaning upon Egypt as a staff. But that staff turned out just to be a broken reed that when you read upon it and lean upon that reed, it pierces your hand as it buckles under pressure. And that's exactly, the Egyptians didn't come to the rescue of Hezekiah. He should have full wholeheartedly trusted Yahuwah. But then we see in the corresponding reading of 2 Kings 18 and 19 that he returns to Yahuwah in prayer and supplication. How? Because he's urged on by Isaiah. We need people to urge us on. We need people to encourage us. And Isaiah encouraged Hezekiah to continue on with his seeking and searching of Yahuwah and turn away from the Egyptians, but truly lean on Yahuwah. Because Yahuwah, verse 20, is the Holy One of Israel. The remnant shall return, the remnant of Jacob to the mighty El. So now we're telescoping from the past into the future that there is going to be a remnant of Israel that's going to return from the nation, from the nations. This is the greater exodus from the nations that's prophesied by Jeremiah the prophet and Isaiah the prophet. You know what? No matter how bad things get, there would always be a future for Yah's people. No matter how bad things get, there would always be a remnant, a remnant of us who would return to him. That's what the prophecies say. This speaks to the greater exodus where we exit mystery Babylon and go into what I believe is the millennium with millennium technologies. This is what we must prepare for now with our families, with our generations, with our resources, and with our time ultimately. Look at verse 22. For though your people Israel are like the sand of the sea, yet, and here we go again, 
there is going to be a remnant, brethren. That's you, the 12 tribes scattered abroad, and you shall return. The full end which is decreed shall overflow with righteousness. Well, what does that mean? In the Hebrew, righteousness sweeps away a decree of destruction. And that's what I've seen in my life. I was decreed for destruction because of the life that I was living. But when I encountered the servant, the light, then his righteousness swept away the decree of destruction in my life. And it has done that generationally and with everything that I touch. How? Because it's him. Because it's him in me. And I just have a responsibility to keep all of that relationship in balance through stewardship to make sure that I stay elevated in my state because otherwise default is to be overcome by the chaos motifs of the world. So we've got to fight for this faith that we have. It's a spiritual fight. What this means is total annihilation of my soul. Total annihilation of your soul. It's averted through acceptance and repentance. And that repentance ushers in the Ruach HaKodesh, the spirit of Messiah, that averts the greater catastrophe and instead begins the greater exodus. And that's what we're going to see in the final remnant generation. There's going to be this final remnant generation that witnessed the manifestation of the end-time Assyrian. That's evil personified, a character from the north that brings military and economic collapse and oppression to the world at large. Can you imagine such a thing? For sure, we're just seeing the stages being swept the lights being brought out, and all of the imagery, technology, and cameras set up to broadcast this absolute apocalypse of evil, where the whole nations will see, and the three witnesses will get slaughtered and will stand up, and everybody will see the two witnesses. Did I say three? <laughs> She's like, what? So in Hebrew, we see that the righteousness sweeps away the decree of destruction. And now we're in verse 23. For the master Yahweh Savot shall make a full end as ordained in the midst of the land. Therefore, so says the master Yahweh Savot, O my people who dwell in Zion, do not fear Assyria. He shall strike you with a rod and shall lift up his staff against you in the way of Egypt, but yet a little while and the fury shall cease and my anger shall be in their ruin and degeneration. So it's only going to go on for a while and it's ultimately going to end up in their ruin and their degeneration. And do you see that more and more with society? Yahweh is showing us just as the ancient Assyrian brutality was extremely degenerate, I mean, what they did to the people was despicable. The Assyrians, when they came down and they raided cities, the degeneracy it is unspeakable in front of children. The brutality was so extreme and degenerate, the end-time world culture will likewise devolve into a brutal degeneracy. And you can see it. But, brethren, it will be their ruin, not yours. Much like the degenerate societies of old that came and went. What happened to the Babylonians? The Babylonians became, out of nowhere, they became, became the strongest, most successful empire. And how long did they last for? A mere 70 years. And then they were taken over by the Medo-Persians. And they are in a sand heap of history. What about the Romans? Six, seven hundred years. And their inward degeneracy 
was their downfall. What about the Mongols? You see this throughout history, but nobody teaches history anymore. It's ultimately inward moral degeneracy that causes the collapse of nations. The Romans, after hundreds of years on the top, toppled by inner cultural brutality and degeneracy. Now, the chapter concludes with the days leading up to the downfall of Senrahib. Now, he, of course, descends from the northeast, racing down from town to town. And you'll see the description here of his race down from the north to Jerusalem in verses 26 through 34. But you'll notice he gets as far as the city of Nob, which is Mount Scopus just outside of Jerusalem. And any of you that have been to Mount Scopus, you can look, that's Nob right here on verse 32. And that's as far as the Assyrian got. That's as far as Sennarev got. You've got a panoramic view of Jerusalem from that focal point, Mount Scopus. So this is where the chapter concludes. So you have to imagine it. You've got Senarev racing down from the north and his object is Jerusalem. And he is taking out city upon city, city upon city. They are falling left, right and center as he races down and he approaches his objective, Jerusalem. The city of Nov, right on the hill, overlooking Jerusalem. Like I said, it's today's Mount Scopus. That's the stage. Now let's read the text. And Yahuwah, verse 26, and Yahuwah Savoth shall stir up a whip on him according to the slaughter of Midian at the rock of Oreb. And as his rod was on the sea, so shall he lift it up in the way of Egypt. And it shall be in that day his burden shall be taken away from off your shoulder and his yoke from off your neck. And the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. And here he comes racing down. He has come to Aath. He has passed to Migron at Michmash. He has stored his baggage they have gone over the passage. They have bedded down at Geba. Ramar is afraid. Gibeah of Saul has fled. Lift up your voice, daughter of heaps. Shriek with your voice. Bow, Laash, afflicted of Anoth. Madamere wanders. The people of Gebin take refuge. Verse 32. Yet, yet he shall remain in Nob today. What happened there? Well, we have to delve into a little bit of Assyrian history to tell you what happened there. He shall shake his hand against the mount of the daughter of Zion, the hill of Jerusalem. Behold, the master Yahweh Zavot shall lop the bow with terror and the lofty one shall be cut down and the proud shall be humbled and he shall cut down the thickets of the forest with iron and Lebanon shall fall by a mighty one. So I love this. This is one of my favorite passages thus far because it's so descriptive, maybe because I know the geography, the topography of the land. I've stood there right, right there on Nove. Mount Scopus. I've seen exactly what he saw. And he's been rushing down from the north. And I've been all the way up to northern Israel, up at the Syrian border. I've been to Tel Dan. And I've made that trek from there all the way down. Just to, So it excites me. And, and history tells us that Sanarib, he got as far as Mount Scopus, where if any of you have been there, you would know, like I said, you've got this beautiful panoramic view of Jerusalem. And it appeared to him, like it does to most people, if you go to Israel, you go, it's kind of small. It's not what I imagined. I had all these visions of grandeur. And you get there and you're like, oh, you can walk from the east to the west, from the north. It's, it's, it's quite small. So he looks at this after he's He's, he's laid waste to these bigger cities. 
and they fell easily. His men are exhausted. He's been slaying city after city, way greater, way bigger than Jerusalem. He gets to Jerusalem, he's looking out at it, and he's like, this isn't very, this isn't that big. It's not exactly well defended. I think we can take this easy. I tell you what, fellas, why don't we bed down for the night? You go and get us some nice um, Ibex. We'll get ourselves some nice dinner. Maybe we'll crack some wine up. Sing to me. Because it's as if Sanharif was so full of himself. He gets there. He looks at Jerusalem and it's as if to say, is this the place to which I brought such an overwhelming force, such an overwhelming army. I can quickly overrun this place. I've overran many, many cities far, far greater than this. Why? This is way smaller. It's weaker than the cities that I've already conquered. You see this in verses 26 through verses 32. He therefore disregarded, history tells us, his astrologers. His astrologers warned him, you need to invade at once. You need to invade at once. But what did he do? He shook his hand against the mount of the daughter of Zion, the hill of Jerusalem. Read verse 32. It tells you. He was feasting. He was full of wine. He did not take the counsel of his astrologers, which said, you've got to invade at once. This can wait until tomorrow. I'll give my soldiers a good rest for the night. And then tomorrow morning, they'll be fully refreshed and they'll easily breach the wall and they'll easily conquer the city. But you turn to the 35th verse of 2 Kings chapter 19, and this is what happened. And it happened that night, while they're up there having a good time on Mount Scopus, thinking they are kings of the world, that the angel of Yahweh, I love this, that the angel of Yahweh went out and struck 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And they arose early in the morning. Behold, they were all dead corpses. And Senachib, king of Assyria, he legged it. He departed. He went and returned and lived in the capital of Assyria, Nineveh. And it happened as he was worshipping in the house of Nishrosh, his god, and Adramar and Shalrazar, his sons, they struck him with the sword. When did this happen? This happened right now. This happened at Passover. The great miracle of the downfall of Sennacherib, the Assyrian. It happens at Passover, brethren. That's why we keep the feasts. The great downfall of the Assyrian in our time is going to happen at Passover too. It's going to happen at Passover too. That's why we keep the feasts of Yahuwah, so we know the times and the seasons of the prophecies that are pulled forward into our time. And this is the moral of this whole account. And I'll finish here, because I've been banging on. Never give up hope. Never give up hope. They can be putting shackles on your wrist. They can be loading bullets into the magazine of a rifle. Never give up hope. Never give up. They can be putting a bag on your head, and a noose around your neck. Never give up hope. When bad things happen, which they do, you have to accept, remove, and adapt. What do I mean? This is what I've learned in life. When bad things happen, you have to accept it right there and then. Then you have to remove the emotion immediately, whether it's anger, whether it's fear, whether it's stress, whatever. Remove the emotion because it's not going to help you. And then you've got to shift and you adapt 
to the new reality. Accept, remove, adapt. You can go back to the emotion later, but you're right now, you've got to adapt to the new reality that's just presented itself. And the only way that you can move that fast is by acceptance. You accept it, you acknowledge the emotions that are there, then you remove them. It was really Isaiah's A-R-A. He got so caught up, he couldn't accept what was happening. He could not remove the emotion, and he could not remove himself from seeing the torchlights of Senharav right across the Kidron Valley. He couldn't remove himself from that. And he could not adapt to what was going on. Isaiah, he saw the very same things as Hezekiah, but he accepted it. He removed all of the emotion, all of the fear, and he adapted by going to the temple of Yahuwah and expressing the new reality of which they found themselves and communicating that to Yahuwah. And Yahuwah heard what he said, and he said, now I will do this. Because you have accepted because you have removed your allegiances and all of your fears, and you have adapted to what is really happening, now I will transform your environment and make a new environment for you. Don't fight the new reality. When something happens, you accept it. Don't fight the new reality. It's not going to help you. Becoming angry with the new reality that has now faced you isn't going to help you. Being afraid of the new reality that now has manifest isn't going to help you. You don't fight the new reality. Don't allow the emotion of the new reality to manifest itself in the moment. It's not going to be good. It's going to be counterproductive. You'll either be angry. You'll either be afraid. You'll either be scared. It's the wrong time. You do not need to accept, you do not need to dwell on it then. You've got to remove it. In the moment is not the time, later. And if you do this, accept, remove the emotion, and then adapt, you will find great successes in life. And that's what I believe helped the prophets become who they were. They were just men and women, just like you and I. And later on, when the smoke clears, that's the time to visit the emotions. And then when you do that, you're doing it from a position of clarity, not from the chaos. Accept, remove, adapt, come back later, and then visit. But you'll be visiting from clarity, not chaos. This is how Isaiah and the prophets could always see through what was happening. That is how Isaiah was able to prophesy in 2 Kings chapter 19 to Hezekiah. And it's pretty clear to me that Isaiah accepted, removed, and adapted. ARA wins the day every day. And that is how I'll close on chapter 10. So Baruch Hashem Yahuwah, I think I went long, didn't I? 112 minutes. That's not an hour and 12 minutes. I've gone longer. I've gone longer. But uh, Baruch Hashem Yahuwah, thank you all for being there in the chat. Let me see if I've... Uh... Yep, there you go. I've got some of you here. If you want me to answer a question or you have something you'd like me to see... Now's a good opportunity for you to redline me, and you can do that by going at TorahToTheTribes.com. And seeing as I've got the computer right up, I can see the live chat right now. So if you do have something you'd like to say, a comment, a scripture, something edifying, then please put it up. Otherwise, we shall bounce until next Sabbath. Remember, sign up for the Passover it's a wonderful time of year to get Mickford in the Willamette. It really is right here. If not, connect with your brethren 
and see where there's a Passover festival near you. You can do that by going to torahtothetribes.com forward slash connect. Diesel, Grandpa, love my pronouns. Thank you. I was wondering if anyone would get that. Um, you know, that I think I'm going to put that on my sign-off, my corporate sign-off on my emails because I get so many of those noodle letters from government entities and they always, these people that work for them, always want to insert their personal ideas into the email with their pronouns. So I thought, well, that would be my pronouns in, in reply. But uh, anyway, you know, I'm offensive enough. I don't know if I need to go around intentionally trying to offend people. Oh, there you go. Flame of Joseph, Malkid Zedek. Will you be doing a study on Jeremiah? If people want me to, I would love to, because that is one of my favorite books. It truly, I say that about all of them, don't I? Oh, Ezekiel's one of my favorite books. Isaiah, one of my favorite books. Well, that's what it should be, right? That's what the word is in, in its whole. When is Passover? April 2nd on the Roman calendar is when we're celebrating it. There are 2,900 calendars out there, and they're all right, of course. Um, and so people choose different days. But that's the one that we settled on, so I'm not going to fight anyone on that. So if you want to know why we do it that day, I think we've got a slew of teachings on the calendar, and uh, you can always connect with us on that, and you could study that out too. Baruch Hashem Yahuwah. What else do we have? ARA, yes, there we go. Yeah, yeah, Rukashem Yahuwah. All right, I'm scrolling back here. See if there are any, uh, oh, you guys have been busy on the chat. I think I should let you all go because I've held you up long enough. Thank you so much for tuning in this Sabbath. Thank you, everybody, for your support of this ministry. If you would like to support the ministry, you can always go to TorahToTheTribes.com forward slash donate. Thank you so much, those of you that do support the ministry so faithfully. We're able to do wonderful things and hopefully impact and make a difference in your lives. I know that when I meet you personally at the feast, you impact and make a difference in my life. So let's build a better world together through the Bible and the outpouring of the Ruach HaKodesh because there are a lot of people out there that can be rescued. But again, we've got to be wise in how we do it, because the days are long and the hours getting darker and darker. But we have the light, and the light is in us, and we're to be a light in this fallen world. Shabbat shalom, dear brethren. Greet one another as we leave. Until next Sabbath. Shalom. <laughs>